a trip like Africa, it's hard. It's a hard trip. Uh, Cambodia, not so hard. Cambodia, you have air conditioning. Cambodia, you have little stores you can go to, like 7-Eleven and get some ice cream. And, you know, little things like that are perks in Cambodia. In Cambodia, we've all discussed it before. I've discussed it with Pastor Drew, who we went with. And Cambodia is a predicate or a precursor for anybody who would want to go to Africa. If you can make it in Cambodia, chances are you can make it in Africa. There was so many blessings over there, and I wrote down several thoughts, and I'm just going to go through those thoughts in a second concerning Africa. And we met people over there. I met this guy named Howard Howe, I think is his name. I have his card. And he's a United Methodist guy, and I told him I wouldn't hold that against him. And he... And we had great fellowship at the end of the trip. He was in the hotel that we were staying in, and I started talking to him, and he was a contractor, and he had like six or seven licenses, electrical and framing and all kinds of licenses that he had. And then he went on to become a PA, a physician's assistant, and he's working in some of the hospitals over there in Uganda, and he did that for a while, and they're training up pastors over there, and there's people doing this work. And I I talked to a group of about four or five of them when we were out on the street, and just a, a wonderful group of people. And then I met somebody who was from Turkey that was a nurse there that lived in Germany, and they were over there trying to figure out how to minister to the people. There are pockets of people over there doing everything that they can to support the individuals who are especially way out somewhere. We met a pilot from Samaritan's Purse. We were having a morning devotion, and he pulled up a chair, and he wanted to be part of the devotion. A young guy, he's probably, I don't know, he looked like 24, 26, something like that. And he flies these planes into Kenya and South Sudan and in Uganda. And I want to let you know this. You know those Christmas boxes that we send? There was a guy that gave him a testimony that grew up receiving those. And he said, you know what? That, those things, those boxes gave me hope that there was more to life than just this existence that he was in. And he said, you don't know the impact that those shoe boxes have. Now, how many did we send out last year? Like 450 or something? What, hundreds and hundreds, right? And you, all of you are having an impact on those people who were over there. And it's just fantastic to hear it from them, to hear it from Samaritan's Purse. And so what I'm going to do, if you turn down the lights in the center here, I only have about 10 pictures. I'm not going to go through all 600 pictures of my trip, uh, j- just a few of them, and I'm going to explain as we go along. And they're kind of in random order, but this first one that's going to play, it's a little video clip. Now, to give you a background, Stephen, who is a missionary to Cambodia, a great brother in the Lord, he has moved to a village two hours away from Phnom Penh, and he married a woman who's over there. He has a couple of kids now, and he's taken in kids off the street to live in his house. Uh, just a fantastic brother. We need more people like him. But he went on this trip. And the reason he went on this trip is because we took on a new avenue this time going over. This is my third trip of ministering to the kids. Because when we'd go over there, I, I kid you not, in one place that we had, when we got there, there's probably 500 people plus the kids that were there. 
And so we brought him over along with Dustin, you know Dustin, and Dustin and Stephen both worked on ministering to the kids. Now, we bought things from Oriental Trading. We bought uh, little Mardi Gras beads, you know, little bitty beads that you hang around your neck. We, we got these uh, slap wrist bracelets, you know, you slap them on your wrist, that type of thing. And he would also, yeah, that, that dog wasn't there, and it wasn't snowing there. Uh, he... He also would do this this one dance. Now, I have the video, but the video is probably about six minutes. I'm not going to show it to you. And he knows this song in Kamai, which he speaks fluently. But he doesn't know how to sing this song in English. And you guys know the song, Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. And you do motions, right? You add a motion every time. Well, it's kind of like that. And it's where you stick out your thumbs and then you turn your head and you stick out your, your tongue like that and you, you go like this and you hop around like that. He's doing that with the kids and he's singing in Kamai. And these African children start singing in Kamai, mimicking him and what he's doing. Well, this is one point right here. Uh, don't start it yet, John. This is one point right here where I said, we're thinking of things to do with the kids because they, they're just hanging out. They go, what are we doing next? They're not saying that, but that's what they're looking for. And so I said, Stephen, do jumping jacks with him. And so this is what he did. Watch the kids. And so that, that's just one of the, and he had kids like that. He was a magnet. He would walk around and these kids would follow him like a group of sheep, you know, and wherever he went and he'd sit down and they'd all gather around. And we found out, you know, if you know little tricks, uh, they are fascinated by little tricks. Like I walked up to him and I, I did this and they went, and they started to make the sound with their mouth or tried to. And I, I would try to explain to them, this is what you do. You put it up here and you, you go like that. They just couldn't believe it. And then you do this thing, you know, with the, the finger and go. And they would look and or, or you you'd do this thing. You know how you take your fingers. Remember this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people. They would look at that and go, they wouldn't know how to do that. And they were just fascinated by little things like that. If we had magic tricks, and I have a couple, take them over there, they, they would probably faint, you know, because they, they just are not used to that type of thing. Their, their toys, uh, one place we went to, and I told you this before, last time we went, they had a ball out of rags last time. Well, this time they had a ball out of the plastic bags. And you put rubber bands around it, and that's their ball. And that's all they have for a toy. Let me show you some of these other pictures here. That was our van. See how squished it was? And that's how we felt on the inside. Uh, There were 11 of us in there. And that was before the first seat was taken up with all the medication. So we were regulated to the back for eight and a half hours. Driving, but there's one redeeming thing. The Lord was gracious to us. The first couple of times I went there, it was dirt road almost all the way. This time, three quarters of the way is paved. So it makes it a little bit nicer. Let's go on to the next one. Now, this was the first clinic that we did. You can see the kids just kind of hanging out. How happy they are. They, they 
really don't understand their poverty too much. And they are just as happy as can be. When we drive by on the road, they would start waving and yelling and running with the van. And no matter where we were, that's what the kids would do. Okay, let's go on. Now, this is Stephen, and this is where he's getting ready to do that one little dance thing that he does. And he's giving the gospel through an interpreter, and all the kids would sit down, and he would go through these three pages, nice and simple, give them the gospel. They'd understand the gospel. It was a great thing. So after he would teach them three songs, he'd sit them down, give them the gospel, and then we'd pass out these little toys from Oriental Trading. Okay, go on. Now, this, this is a girl. She's 15 years old. She has glaucoma and she can hardly see. This is indicative of anyone who is over 40. They have cataracts. They can hardly see over there. There's cataracts. There's pterygium. There's pinguicula. All of those are caused from the sun. And so we would give them sunglasses to wear. We passed out about 550 sunglasses to everyone that's over there. We explained to them the importance of wearing them. And then I'd tell them every once in a while, you look like Hollywood, you look really good. And they'd smile and they'd put those things on and they'd walk away. But this poor girl, there's no hope for her. There's no cure for glaucoma. And I, I, I didn't know what to tell the family. What can you tell them? You know, you have to go see a doctor. And at this point where we are right here, the nearest doctor, there's clinics, but clinics can't do anything. The nearest hospital is eight and a half hours away. And so if they need anything, and if we get in trouble out there, we have to go eight and a half hours to get some help. Let's go to the next one. Now, this is, you, you see the little beads right there? You guys bought those beads. And the little boy just as happy as can be. But one thing that I noticed, there were the villages that we would go to, there would be degrees of poverty. And you could tell by the way that they acted when these things came out if they were more poor or less poor. They were all poor. But the places like this that we started handing those out, what they would do is they would line up. And then they would shove to get their place because they wanted one. And then the parents came in and they wanted some too that were being passed out to the kids. And it would end up being disorderly a little bit. And so we kind of refrained until we found out a different method for passing those out. But the kids got them, and it, like this one's gold, it's like gold to them. And it's just this little plastic thing that we give to them. We have had, I told Yolanda this, we had probably, how many would you say there were, Yolanda? Three or four hundred of those things? It's a little plastic frog that on the tail, you press it down and it hops is what you do. And there was one point where Stephen took a couple handfuls of those and he threw them in the air with the kids and it was like a rugby match to get those little plastic frogs. And they were having fun doing it, but it, you just can't believe how those little things bring them so much pleasure. Let's go on to the next one. Now look at his shirt. That's a generational shirt. That's pretty much all he has. And the front of it is missing. This is how poor they are, where we are. All these kids pretty much had no shoes. The poorer it was, the fewer shoes you saw. And if you did see shoes, they were made out of tires. Let's go. Next one. Uh, 
And of course, little happy baby. You know, that's a healthy baby right there. So many babies that we saw were not healthy. But uh, he was happy, a little happy type. But you see his clothes as well. The clothes are just tattered. And you can't really take over clothes. It's kind of like Mexico. If you take clothes down to Mexico, Deef steps in and say, well, we want some money you know, for that. It's, it could cost just hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get clothes in. Let's go to the next one. Now, this child here is about four years old. And you can tell it's the size of a little toddler. And many of the children like this were sick. Uh, we saw some Down syndrome children, uh, some mentally retarded children. You could tell their head was deformed a little bit, and they, they couldn't just keep with what was going on. And, and the mortality rate for kids is 50 to 60% over there for infants. Let's go to the next one. Can you focus on that a little bit? Now, what this is, and I don't know if you can see it on there. I'll point it out. That right there, that's a fly. There were several flies going around this child. This child was probably four or five years old. Several flies, and where you see the yellow, those are the pussy discharges from underneath the skin. This child had had this for about six months. And I was talking to Taylor, a nurse that's there, and the doctors too. There's bacteria that has a tendency to bore. It will bore into the wounds that are there. And this child, if this child doesn't get help, it is either going to lose its legs or it's going to die. This child's going to die. And we explained to the mother the importance of getting this child to the hospital. And this probably started from a little nick and then it got the bacteria in there, and it's spreading to uh, the other legs. I have another wound. I'm not going to show it to you. It's kind of graphic, but it's a hole in the front of a shin on a child, and it's going all the way to the bone. And there's a disease that once it gets into the bone, chances are the child's going to die. And we would give topical anesthetics for this as well as the uh, antibiotics, and we tried to treat it, but it would only be sufficient for a week or, you know, a couple of weeks, that type of thing. And, and I was told by Taylor, one of the nurses, that if they were in the hospital here, they would take that skin completely off of the leg and they would uh, irrigate it and keep it um, nice and sanitary and it would probably be a three-month stay in the hospital. And so and these kids, this child and another child, if the parents get them to the hospital, which they have no money, but if they do, the child will live. If they don't, these children are going to die. And we saw a couple of these. Let's go to the next one. Is that it? Is there another one? This was night. We were, we were in bed. <coughs> Is that it, John? No? We got another one? It's... There we go. Now, this is part of our crew. Uh... In the front there, you have Henry. He was our driver. Spoke great English. Uh, wonderful guy. And next to him is Kaz. Kaz is from Australia. And then uh, in the back, the first three ladies, they were there at the Cobwin New Hope compound, and they assisted us. They 
washed our clothes. They made us meals. Uh, to the left, that is uh, Dr. Damaris. She is from Mexico, down by Cancun. And then it's hard to make out who else is in there. You see me, and then right next to me is the pastor, and Drew is behind that, and Taylor's to the left, and you have Steve, and you have Dustin back there, Dr. Joan way on the left, and Gina, and that's only part of the crew. We had interpreters wherever we went, and it, it was a it was a wonderful time. We were blessed, but it was hard. It was a hard time. You have any more? And there are lots of animals there. Uh, there's some video of this, and they're feeding the monkeys, and they're running around, and a couple of the people uh, that came on the trip, they went on a safari uh, a couple of days before we got there, and there's elephants and giraffes and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, all of those things uh, were there. And it was, it was a nice trip, but again, it's hard. Now I'm going to talk about this if you want to bring the lights up. That's the last picture, right, John? Now, I'm just going to go through some of the thoughts. And if we may get into Matthew today, but I, I just want to make sure I communicate my thoughts about this particular trip. Uh, as I've stated in the past, the trip is not for everyone, and Cambodia is a training ground for Africa. But this particular trip, usually there is no electricity for most of the trip, at least more than a half. There is no Internet most of the time. Once we head up to Cubwin, that's when all communication ceases, unless you have a cell phone from the area um, and you want to call somebody. But all communication ceases. There are bugs uh, everywhere. There is this one. We are by Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is the lake that starts the Nile River that goes all the way to Egypt. And we went over the new bridge that's there. And, you know, it's kind of nice seeing all that. But on the Lake Victoria, they have a, actually, a, I think, a National Geographic program on this. These flies, these lake flies, will come out like clouds. And sometimes around the lake, uh, what some of the people in Uganda will do is they will take a frying pan, and they will wet it, and they will sling it with the insects in the air. And the insects are just like a cloud. There's so many of them. And then they will make fly burgers. They will mash them up and make them into like a burger and they cook them just like you would a hamburger and they're full of protein and when, and once a month they have these flies come around. When we went to Entebbe, the airport there, you look up at the lights since we left at night and the lights are almost shrouded by these things. There are just so many of them that are up there. Uh, Taylor, he was, uh, bunking above me and I had gotten out early in the morning and he was in there and all of a sudden I heard some shuffling in there and he said there was a spider as big as the palm of his hand crawling into his mosquito net and he jetted out of there as fast as he possibly could and he, he got the spider but you know there's beetles that are I kid you not they are this big and they come out at night and uh, one thing with such poverty in that country I am just amazed at God's provision. I see Matthew chapter 6 come to life, where if you trust in God, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. When you drive down the road, you see chickens everywhere. I mean, chickens are ubiquitous. That's one of the things. And if you're hungry, get yourself a chicken. You know, and then there's turkeys. Turkeys everywhere. You drive around the corner, and there's a flock of turkeys going off on the side. And of course, goats are everywhere. They would have these little slaughter cement things that would be 
close to villages and every morning they'd stick a goat out there and they'd chop up the goat and then they'd hang the meat out there and all the flies would be all over it and you could have fresh goat uh, if you wanted to. And then as you're driving out in the wilderness there, the mango trees are again ubiquitous. They are everywhere and they are huge. One mango tree would be bigger than the, the size of this room here, go from side to side, and we would actually go underneath them, and that's where we would conduct our clinics. And all you have to do is reach up, and you just pull the fruit that's there. There's papaya trees over there. It's kind of tropical. You get to the north, and there's not so much. The, the farther north you go, the more poverty there is, and, and we saw that. We didn't go as far as Cotito as we did last time, and it's really poor up there. But where we went, there was uh, sufficient poverty, to say the least. And there's no hot water uh, except in the hotels when you're able to stay in a hotel or a guest house. And most of the time, you don't get water flowing from a tap. You have to go get it out of a five-gallon bucket or like a four-and-a-half-liter bucket, whatever it is, a, a water thing, a water carrier. And the nights, uh, this particular time, there was no rain. And at night, you would just lay there and sweat. Uh, you'd try to sleep and You'd do your best to fall asleep and you'd wake up. This time for me, it was, it was okay. I, I had some meds because I had a tooth pulled and I had some pain meds and I can use those pain. My tooth hurt, you know, but I, I took them and I was able to sleep and everybody else and the snoring that was going on. Oh, yeah, just, it, it's one of those trips and you think you're going to get some rest. And again, I did, but most everybody else did not. The bathrooms are not like ours. Um, I won't go into too much detail with that, but you better take your raid uh, if you want to go use the bathroom. There are cramped travel conditions. Uh, the racial makeup is not like it is here in San Diego. We were the only Caucasians. I didn't see a Caucasian for six days. And, of course, when you go to these villages and they haven't seen somebody who is white, you are a ghost, a great white ghost. And you and we are different than them. I, I had this one. <laughs> We're by this van. And I'm, I'm by the opening of the van right here. We're getting ready to load up. And we have this caution tape that goes out in all these directions. And we started to pull down the caution tape. So all the kids come in at the end. And they're standing within arm's reach of you. And I, I would kind of play with them while things were going on like I did this. I, I did this, I, you know, flying like this. And I'd come up to the kids and I'd do that. And they'd, and they'd scream and they'd run backwards. And then they'd laugh, that type of thing. And so I turned towards the van. Now I have to show you something. You see that? They don't have that. And I turned towards the van... And I'm looking this way, and all of a sudden, I feel this little hand go. <laughs> and then I turn around real fast, and you see this kid just scurry through the crowd and try to get away. And guess what my first thought was? Who touched me? And I'm going, wow, Lord. You know, I... That's kind of what it was like when you were, you know, going through the crowd and somebody touched you. And that's the first thought that came to mind. Who touched me? You know, and I'm looking around and then all the kids, they go, oh, when I turn around and then I go, oh, 
You want to see the hair on my arm? And I stuck it out, and all the kids came up, go, oh, just the hair on the arms, you know. They they hadn't seen the big white ghost. And Drew, Drew's over six foot. So when he walks up there, you know, he's this towering figure, and he's this gray hair, and he walks up, and all the kids are, whoa. They're, they're trying to get away from it. And it's just a lot of fun. But we gain their trust because we're there for hours. And, and it's a great time, and we have these little memories like this, but our focus was ministering to the kids in the, bad, in the midst of these bad circumstances, and we can never help them all. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that we get to, and we pass out these cards, and some people miss out on getting these cards, and someone on these trips always gets a stomach bug of some kind. Uh, we had two people, uh, Drew and Dr. Joan, they had to take a day off because it had just gotten to them severely. They needed to be by uh, the one restroom that we had, and they couldn't go out, and everybody else was taking Cipro. Five or six of the group, they got a stomach bug going over there. And you, if you go over there, you've got to count on getting it, but we do have things to help. Uh, there's generational poverty. There are heavy accents on some of the interpreters, and you're trying to understand what they're saying, and sometimes that can be difficult. Uh, and up in the morning, probably 4.30, 30 in the morning for devotions, and there's a chance of getting malaria. I'm still not out of the woods. Uh, come another week, I could end up getting malaria. Uh, you have to get a yellow fever shot. It's helpful to get A and B hepatitis shots as well uh, as tetanus. A lack of sleep is going to be part of the trip. Lack of privacy uh, is part of the trip. Uh, even though the people are poor, they are also just as much of a sinner as any one of us in here. And some of that gets acted out on. And those are some of the downsides. But there are eternal rewards, opportunity to minister to others both temporarily and eternally. Uh, The fellowship is wonderful. For those of you who don't know what we do, we show up with cards. We give them the cards to go to triage. We take their blood pressure. We take their temperature. We take whatever else we need, the information, what's the one or two things that are most severely affecting you. Then we take them over to the gospel station. They hear the gospel. From that gospel station, they come over and get sunglasses and reading glasses or they get medication. They don't get to do both. And there'd be people that try to slip in and they get both, but there's so many people uh, to minister to. You could spend your whole life over there doing what we did and you would never reach all the people that are there. And of course, you meet the new people. The fellowship is wonderful. There are travel adventures. You build friendships for life. Uh, There's a chance to be more like Christ. It's a learning experience. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Also, becoming more of a disciple as Jesus commanded. You get to do that hands-on right over there. Uh, Rewards are shared by those who support the effort. That means all of you who gave to the church here. We spent some money on that. So you get the same reward as I did going over there. A chance to help others who are truly poor. Uh, the shopping, the wildlife, there's a little bit of shopping you can do over there. There's bananas and birds, you know, different kinds of birds. It was just wonderful. But people, they struggle. They push and vie for a position to get numbers. When we showed up to this one place, we started handing out numbers. You thought there was a riot going on because they wanted that number so desperately because we'll hand out a, like 100 numbers at one time. And we'll go through that sometimes three or four times before the day is over. And they're struggling to get help. There's so many who are sick and needy. Almost everybody has something. But so many have smiles. They're happy. They're grateful. 
um, the, the balls that we had, the beads. Uh, Stephen didn't know what a hacky sack was. Yeah, so I, I, he's taking this hacky sack and he's just throwing it up in the air and the kids are running for it. You know, 50 of them at one time or 75 running for this hacky sack ball. And so we tried to show him how to juggle a little bit. And the kids, of course, are fascinated. They're like, what on earth are you doing with those balls? And you, you juggle them. And then I showed him how to use a hacky sack. You know how you pop that thing with your leg? And Stephen goes, what? He's been in Cambodia way too long. He has no idea what a hacky sack was. But they would just start throwing the balls. And the kids would have a great time uh, doing that. Also, uh, greed is evident over there because they have nothing. They reach for stuff. And the poorer they were, the more the greed was evident. And it's, it's based in need. I don't condemn them for it. They, they just want something. But the ones who had a little bit more, the ones who were a little bit better dressed, they were orderly. You'd tell them to sit down. If anybody gets up, we're not going to pass these things out. And they would sit there and they would be ordered but the poverty really has an effect on them. Uh, there was one case, the same place where I, they grabbed the hair on my arm. If you didn't have a number, you weren't going to be seen. This woman comes up to this tape. I'm standing right next to the tape. And she brings up this. It looks like a brown beer bottle, but it is plastic. And there's a little bit of uh, fluid in the bottom. And she wants me to look at it. And so I grab it and I hold it up. I look what's inside there. And there is this worm. And this worm is, it's a worm. I mean, it's pretty good size. I'm thinking, earthworm? What is this? She goes, my son just passed this yesterday. And I said, "Eh." you know, I I wanted to give the thing back. It's this tapeworm. Uh, We saw it, and I just said, that's it. You're, You're coming. And so I grabbed her, took her over, got her the worm medicines for a kid. And we gave worm medicine to everybody. Kids with distended stomachs because they have worms uh, there, just the infections. It, it's, you know, the things that we do, they are temporary, but hopefully the gospel sticks and that is eternal. And going on from there, I showed you the picture of the blind girl with glaucoma and people in wheelchairs, STDs, malaria, TB, open sores. All of these things are in the group that comes and sees us. Uh, malaria, the kids especially, we take their temperature and their temperature would be 101, 104, something like that. They'd be lethargic. We knew that they had malaria. We got several uh, cases of those back. Uh, but these life-threatening injuries, the worm in the bottle, the, the hair on the arm, they all leave impressions when you go over there. And a couple of points about this. Just because I, myself, or anyone else goes over there doesn't make me more spiritual than any one of you. And I would say there are people in this body that are more spiritual than I. And I don't say that out of a false sense of humility. I genuinely believe that. And and so when somebody goes, it's just the Lord calls certain people to go. And everybody who goes over there, they are sinners to the core. Just stay with somebody under a difficult situation for 10 days and see what comes out. And you have to have grace for those people as well. You know, Jesus did. When Jesus was ministering to the crowd, he didn't judge them. He just ministered to them. 
And that's what we're supposed to do. And there should not be guilt associated with those who are not able to go on a missions trip because not everyone can. But if God calls you to go, you should definitely go and not resist that. And everybody in the body should participate in supporting such efforts. For the Lord has called us to do this, to not only give the gospel, but to help physically. We're supposed to go out and make disciples. We're supposed to give the gospel and bring physical help to those who are out there. And I'll give you a couple of scriptures on that in a minute. And we are support, supposed to support, if we don't go, both financially and prayerfully, uh, give to the cause. And we should all be doing something on behalf of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, motivated by love, understanding that the works do not save. I'm no more saved because I go to Africa or Cambodia or anyone else that would go than somebody who remains behind. And we should never give to the Lord works, prayer or financial support, that doesn't cost us something. Now there's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 24, if you remember this. King David was there and he decided, he was at peace right then and he wanted to take a census of all the fighting men in Israel. And so he did. He sent his men out, said, I want you to go count all the men, all the fighting men. And his commander said, you know, this is not a good thing that you do that. This is not your army, it's the Lord's army. And the Lord was angry with David for doing that. And so he gave him three choices for his discipline. And in the scripture, it says, oh, I don't have that scripture. But I'll tell you, it was three years of famine, three months of fleeing from his enemies, or three days of a plague. Now, if you got to choose one of those, which one would you choose? Well, he chose to remain in the hand of the Lord for three days. And a plague came through, and it killed many, many people because he wanted to count the people. The Lord judged him for that. Then he went up to this threshing floor of Aruna. And Aruna had this floor, and he could have an offering up there, and David wanted to buy it, and he wanted to provide his own sacrifice up there. And Aruna said, you can just have it, my king, and also I'll provide the sacrifice for you. And his words to him were, and I do have that scripture, He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so when we support an effort like that, going internationally or whatever it might be, or we just give to the church. And by the way, for those of you who are new, we don't receive a formal offering. That's between you and God. If you want to drop something in the Gapi box, that's just fine. And so this is not going to be a pitch for funds. But I want to let you know that as we give, we should be giving up something. If you have a million dollars and you give somebody a hundred bucks, does the Lord say, oh, good job, you're so generous. No, what would you call that person? Oh, you cheapskate. You know, that's what you would say. You have thousands and thousands of millions of dollars and you just want to give a little bit out. And so the Lord calls, and by the way, I'm not exempting myself from this as well. We're supposed to give until it hurts a little bit, like you're going to give up something. And it shouldn't be just a Big Mac. You know, we, we are giving something for God's kingdom because this life is temporary. We don't get to take anything with us. You know that old joke? This joke is so old, it's going to date me. You ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul? It doesn't happen. Now, who's heard that joke before? Yeah, you guys know what it is, right? We're not taking anything with us, and so we want to send our reward on ahead, and that's how we're supposed to treat it. Now, 
there's two reasons why we go, and I want to make sure you guys understand this. Because I have heard some pastors, even in Calvary Chapel, say, why are all these pastors traveling around the world? Well, Acts tells us that the people, they first in Jerusalem gave the gospel to Samaria, to Judea, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to go out. We're to minister locally, and we do that. We've done that every year that we've been here in some fashion, whether it's Christmas on the main or VBS or whatever it might be, we reach out locally here. We also have done so throughout the United States, helping with the relief for some of the hurricanes that have gone through Harvey and Sandy and Katrina. And we go and like we just went up to paradise up there and we're helping out with that. And then we go international. We're supposed to do all three of those. We're not simply just to focus on ourselves. We're to be reaching out. And some of the scriptures that deal with this, says, helping the poor need in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, it says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. So the Jews were to minister to those who are poor. The poor are always going to be there. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he might have something to share with those in need. That's why we're employed, or that's why we set up retirement accounts, retirement accounts, so we can give something to somebody else that doesn't have something. And if anyone has material possessions, according to First John chapter three verse seventeen, and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And so when we go over there, of course, we don't take clothing, we don't take shoes, but we take medications. If they wear the sunglasses, it will stop the progression of those diseases I talked about, whether it's the cataract, the pterygium, or the pinguicula, all of those things that can affect the eye where they cannot see. It doesn't do much for glaucoma, but it still will help them. It will assist them. So we do something with the income that we have, that we have as a church, and we reach out to those who do not have anything, at least bring some relief. And by the way, all relief that you would give anyone on this earth is temporary. It doesn't last but we are obligated to give something that is not temporary, that is eternal. Also, if you remember Cornelius, Cornelius was a centurion. He was a God-fearer. He wasn't a Jew. And it talks about him in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And in verse 2 of chapter 10, it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. These are the examples that have been set forth for us in James chapter 2. It says there, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So that's why we do what we do. And I want you to take notice of this. A lot of the church today is focused on itself goes for how do I feel when I go to that particular church? For instance, you know, worship, we get to sing songs, and it's wonderful. I enjoy singing songs. But did you know it's a command? It's not something that's an option for the believer. He calls us to worship. You know that being a disciple is not an option? It's a command. We're supposed to do that. Now, I, I... I kind of want you guys to focus on this a little bit. 
we are all going to perish. We are all going to pass away. Uh, this year, it seems like I have done a lot of memorials. And I have some more coming up. And it, our life is so temporary, and we focus so much on what is here. Now, I am not saying that, go take a vacation. If you need a vacation, if you need to buy another car, buy another car. If you have a, something that you enjoy a lot, whether it's playing pool, and you're not gambling, you know, you know what I mean. If, you, if you're playing a game or you're, you're doing something with your family, it, it's all great. We need to take those times out. And if you have wealth, well, wonderful. That is just great. None of that is condemned in Scripture. The condemning part is if you live a life for yourself. Now, with this, I, I want to tell you this, too. I was listening to John MacArthur. I like John MacArthur. I agree on most everything that he talks about. Uh, he's with Grace to You Ministries, and, and so I like to listen to him. He's one of several pastors that I'll listen to. And he recommended a book when I was listening last week, and the book was Intellectuals. And it deals with people like, and it's a secular book, but it deals with people like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Leo Tolstoy, also Karl Marx, and it talks about their life and what they believe and how they lived it. These men were reprobates. I cannot believe that we lift them up as the great philosophers which are out there. And John Paul Sartre, uh, he's one I'm going to be listening to. I, I listen by an audio book. For instance, you know Karl Marx was a filthy man. He was an angry man. He would argue. You'd go into his bedroom and there would be dust a half inch thick. There would be plates with food in there. It would be dark. It would be dingy. Tobacco smell would just be all through the place. The smoke would be so thick you could hardly breathe inside the room. And if you went in there and you sat down, the book said you would risk ruining a pair of trousers. It would be so dirty in his room. But he had these attributes. He was like a comedian, and the women loved him, and he married a woman. And him and um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau had four or five kids, and every one of them, he would tell his wife, take them to the orphanage. And all of his kids died. He, he didn't care. The man was a narcissist to the hilt, and he's looked at as this great philosopher, and I think reprobate. This man was terrible. And guess who we're following today? It's men like that. And the, it's going into the church. Now, what would you think in the church? You know, it, it's about yourself. And by the way, they would also think everything that's good for the populace, for the masses, is not good for me. I need a little more wealth. And these guys were leeches on everyone else. They had everybody else support them, and they would not maintain a job. Over and over and over, they were sinners to the court just like us, but probably to the nth degree. Now, when it came to that, and the philosophies that they've had, those philosophies go into the church, and the church says, I need to minister to myself. You, after all, can't love somebody else until you love yourself. That is the way of the world. No, there is no man yet that has not loved himself. You take care of yourself, you feed yourself, you put yourself to bed, you get some sleep, all of those things. We love ourselves. But when you go to a church and we get to experience God, it's all about me. No, that's not the way church is supposed to work. We go to church to worship God and to give him glory and honor and lift him up and we must decrease and he must increase. And the church, universal right now, is going in the direction, I want to go for the experience. It makes me feel so wonderful there. You know, if you do all you're supposed to do for Christ, 
it's really not going to feel so wonderful. You know, Scripture says in Philippians chapter 1, you have been given the privilege to suffer for him. You want to jump up and down right now and clap? Go, yay! No, if you read it, off your bodies is a living sacrifice. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? You're supposed to crucify yourself, and I'm supposed to crucify myself to my wants, cares, needs, and desires, and I'm supposed to live for Christ. But the church is going in this opposite direction, just like the philosophers of the ages past. And we don't want to do that. We want to go out and offer a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And also, we're supposed to bring the gospel. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So it is our job to go out and give the gospel, whether we do it directly or we assist the pastors like in Africa because they speak the language. We get to bring the people there by bringing some of our wealth with the glasses and the medications. We get them there. And the number of people that we saw, it varied the accounts. It's over 1,500, probably all the way to 2,500 people got the gospel simply because we showed up 11 people in a tight van going with the humidity and everything else and getting sick. But there's going to be people who are in heaven. They're going to walk up to you. And say, you are responsible for me being saved because you sent Pastor Bill and you've sent others over there as well. And they've gotten the gospel and they're saved. And we're working for the kingdom that lies ahead. My prayer for everyone in here is that you're able to just say, you know, this life is done. I really should not invest in this life so much. Not that we don't have responsibilities. Take care of our kids, take care of ourselves, have life insurance, pay the bills, all of those things. But the major focus of our life is to be Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. I'll leave you with this illustration. Do you guys know what a charm bracelet is? The charm bracelet, it's a bracelet that goes around the wrist. And women, they, they have a charm. And the charm represents some event in their life. Like, for instance, a baby shoe would represent maybe a child or a grandchild that was born. Or you might have a cross hanging Somewhere, Or you might have a volleyball because you played volleyball. And all of those things remind you of your life that you have lived. And the bracelet is your life. The charms that hang are the events of your life. Imagine if the bracelet was Christ. And all the charms were things that he did through you. And you get no credit for them. That's how we're supposed to look at it. We're not supposed to focus on ourselves and what kind of life can we lead that will be pleasing to us. We're to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that is the task as the believer. If we have hobbies, if we have interests, if we have pursuits, I pray that they do not take precedent over God's pursuits and God's hobbies for you and God's interests. And so with this, We want to make sure that we are involved in building up those who are in the faith and bringing others into the faith. Closing statement here. There are three things that are necessary for any civilization to thrive. Those three things are the family, government, and a church. 
a church that is inside the country, operational, not the local church, but the church universal. If you look at all the countries of the world and all the epic civilizations that have gone before us, they have been strong and they have been brutal. Look at us. We are the most powerful nation in the history of the world. And it's only because we have been blessed by Christ. The people that came here followed Jesus. Most of them, not all of them. Some were just simply deists, but they believed in God. The family is under assault. The government is being taken over by those who are narcissists, who wish to control, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Karl Marx and all of those people. And what also is happening to the church? All three of those things are under attack. My charge to you, it is also a charge to me. Take care of the family. Be a responsible citizen. Vote. When you know you need to, vote. Be informed. And also, become the disciple that Jesus wants you and me to be. If we do that, we will be like a preserving salt over the society. If we don't, you remember this quote by Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. And so if you decide you don't want to do anything for the Lord, well, just step aside and let somebody else come forward. My final closing point, this is the third one, is if there's guilt that you're motivated by, you know, some guilt is good. It keeps us in line. But if you're walking under a cloud of condemnation, well, Pastor Bill made me feel just wonderful this morning by what he was talking about. Like, I don't measure up. Believe me, none of us measure up. We should be motivated by the love of Christ, what he has done for us. If there's guilt that needs to be installed there, just don't overdo it. Or like, woe is me. If you need to focus on an area of your life and say, you know, this is not so good. And the Lord's convicting me of it. Okay, let's change it. But let God's love be the motivating factor for people like in Africa that have nothing. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that you have called us to these works of service. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that is so evident when we go out. We had asked that you would bless our efforts here, Lord. We are not mighty. We are not strong. And I know that you look at that as something that's favorable. That we must rely on you for everything. And we do, Lord. We acknowledge before you that we are trusting in you to use us. Open new doors. If there are new countries, new people to go meet, I ask that you would do that. If there are people here that we need to give the gospel to or minister to, show us, Lord, and help us to be obedient. But also, Lord, help us to stand firm in our faith. Stand solid on the doctrinal base that you have given to us. And may our hearts be filled with the love of your spirit. We thank you for calling us to salvation and blessing us for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.